So this is an interesting sermon tonight because half of it I'm preaching to me and half of it I'm preaching to you. So we'll see who gets the most convicted by the sermon, me or you. (laughs) And you'll be able to tell uh, when I get to your part and as opposed to mine as we go through this tonight. So we're in Colossians, and this is Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. And I'm not going to read those verses just yet. I'm going to wait until I get to the second point where uh, it fits a little bit better. And uh, so in your notes, number one, preaching and teaching are God's primary method of spreading His Word, the Gospel. So usually, methods don't matter. One of the things you'll hear me say a lot is that God blesses unity, not methods. Any method will work as long as we do it together. And so people sometimes fuss about, let's do it this way, let's do it that way. I think this is a good idea. It really doesn't matter. Most of the time, the method is not what God uh, blesses. He blesses the unity. But there are a few exceptions, and one of them is uh, preaching. That's God's method. That's his only method. It's always been his only method. And uh, the world is constantly thinking, you know, preaching is outdated. That's old-fashioned. It's kind of boring. Let's move on to some other new technique or new method. But that's the method that God chose. That's the method he blesses, uh, is preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And so that's the way he has done it. That's the way he will always do it. Matthew 3, 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 11, 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Mark 1.38, he said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. That is what I came for. The only, there are only two statements where Jesus basically uh, uh, expresses his purpose in living as a man. One of them was, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And then this one, he said, I came to preach the gospel. That is what I came for. And he went into the synagogues throughout all Galilee preaching. Mark 3.14, he appointed 12 that they would go with him and that he could send them out to preach. Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple from house to house. Now we're moved into the, the, the church. Church has begun. Uh, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Acts 8.40, Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through He kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. And then when we talk about methods, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.21, Paul says, For since the wisdom in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The foolishness, and so uh, foolishness, Whose opinion? Well, the world's. The world in its wisdom didn't come to know God, so God said, let's do it my way. And he chose preaching, and he knew that the world would consider that foolishness, but that was his method. That's what he's used. That's what he's always used. Number two, preaching and teaching the Word is God's primary method to grow us into the image of Christ. So we've talked about this a bunch, and I'll just say it again because it's so critically important that we understand this concept that life is all about growing. It's like when we are in our mother's womb, uh, 
little bitty single cell embryo to becoming full form so that when the baby is born it can enjoy life and so this life is like that in that the purpose is to go from our new birth with Christ to becoming like Christ in character because what we are are in character when we enter into heaven is what we are and the more like him we are the more we will enjoy him the more he will enjoy us the more we will enjoy heaven and the average Christian tends to think it doesn't matter because whatever deficit we have in character, when we step into glory, God's just going to fix us. Uh, well, that belief makes life of zero purpose. And the purpose of life is to transform us into one degree of glory to another, into the image of Jesus Christ. God has done everything in this life, in the sense of the world, to grow us. We have to cooperate with the process. And so James is one of the statements that says, Consider it all joy when you encounter trials, because those trials are designed by God to grow us, to become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is, we're like Christ in character. So if we were to say, okay, God's going to grow me into the image of Christ. He's going to grow you into the image of Christ. What are his methods or his tools? Well, a major one are the trials that we go through. It says he perfected his own son, Jesus his character through the trials that he went through and the same for us. And so we grow uh, by our own disciplines, reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so our devotional time with God, reading the word becomes part of our growing process as well. Now one of the major statements in the Bible is the power of the preached word to cause us to grow. So this is the passage in Colossians we're at tonight. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, that is this physical body that I now live in, I do my share on behalf of his body, that is the church. I do my part in the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, filling up that which is lacking What's he talking about? You ever look at our church and say, we should do it this way. Or this is a problem. That person is a problem. I would sort of, you know, not pointing to anybody specific there. So every church has problems, limitations, shortcomings. And Paul says, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, I do my part to fix the church, to make her holy, uh, to make her strong, to make her healthy. I do my part, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. In this church, I was made a minister. According to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, listen to this next passage. This is my uh, most often meditated on passage in the Bible. I go over this and go over this and go over this. We proclaim him, admonishing every man. Admonishing, do you know what that means? That means scolding. That's my gift, nagging. Admonishing 
every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. And ladies, you understand that word man is like generic, mankind. You're not getting left out. So we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Now that's an amazing passage. What he's saying is that, Paul's saying is that my preaching is critically important for your growing. If I don't preach well, you can't grow well. I therefore labor diligently, striving so that I can preach and teach the word, teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete, complete, fully grown, like Christ in character through the power of the preached word. 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul's talking to his protege, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Persevere, work hard, study. For as you do this, you will ensure, that means guarantee, Salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now that word salvation there is not salvation from hell. You, again, have heard me teach this so many times over the last years. You know what I'm going to say, but just to make sure, I'm going to say it again. Uh, the hallmark of teaching is repetition over and over and over again. So the word salvation is used three ways. We're saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell. We're saved from the power of sin. And then we're saved from the presence of sin. This is, happens when we die. There's numerous verses that talk about when we die or Jesus comes, we're saved. We're saved from the presence of sin. That word, that theological word, is we are glorified, glorification. There would no longer be any sin in heaven. We're saved from the presence of sin. Here I'm saved from the penalty of sin. That's what is that? Redemption. Yeah. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, saved from the penalty of sin. And this is a point in time where I became a believer in Jesus. This is the point in time when I die or I, Jesus comes back. And then between those two points, there's a process. I am saved, I'm saved, and now I'm in the process of being saved. I'm being saved from the power of sin. It's called sanctification. I'm redeemed, sanctified, glorified. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved from the presence of sin. The word salvation is used in the New Testament for all three of those. So how do you know which one's uh, being used, what's being talked about? So I, my wife cans beans, and, and uh, I got canned from a job when I was 20. I go fishing, and I ask the captain, where's the can? So how do I know which of those definitions is the right one? Just context. So save is used in the New Testament. It's pretty easy. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians chapter 2. That's sanctification. Work out your salvation. That is press on. So he says here, this is a great verse. Persevere in these things for as you do this you will guarantee salvation both for yourself. Now, Timothy's a pastor, so he's obviously not talking about being saved from hell. He's being 
He's talking about being saved from the power of sin. You will guarantee salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So if I do what Paul says, if I pay close attention to myself and to my teaching, I work hard at it, I will guarantee that you grow and overcome the power of sin in your life, that you are sanctified through the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, that's amazing. That's God's method. I've chosen the foolishness of preaching, he said. Um, Number three, preaching and teaching the Bible is a supernatural event. That is when uh, a preacher stands up and preaches and teaches the Word of God, the Spirit of God becomes involved both in my life and in yours. In my life and in yours. There's a sort of a welding process that takes place. I don't know how many of you heard about my welding project here this last week. I was welding a broken frame in my ATV and two pieces of metal were separate and I'm going to make them into one and I caught the thing on fire and uh, I got it out though, I got it out and uh, managed to get it fixed. So there's this welding as it were, there's me and there's you, the spirit in you and the spirit in me and I preach and teach the word and that word transforms your life into the image of Christ. Um, Hebrews 4 Therefore, let us fear. Let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. That's when you stand before Jesus and he says, Sorry, you're out. Bad news. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. It was not united by faith in those who heard. It takes two parties to make the preaching work, the preacher and the listener. And here it says they heard the word preached, but it didn't work in them. And moving on to verse 6, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. They had the good word preached to them, but they didn't enter. That's verse 6. And then, Verse 11 and 12 in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Now, here's a cool passage. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So automatically we will assume when we read that, the Word of God, that's talking about that little book that we carry around, Genesis through Revelation. When they wrote the book of Hebrews, the little book really wasn't around much. There was no New Testament except in scattered letters. It was gathered later. And then the Old Testament. In the context of Hebrews 4, where he begins with preaching in verse 1 and verse 6, the Word of God... Here is the spoken word. The whole context of Hebrews 4 is preaching. Preaching. He says, they heard the preached word twice, he says, and it didn't work in them because they didn't pay attention. They didn't accept it by faith. And he says, the, the word of God, that's the spoken, preached, taught word 
is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That means good preaching will always convict. Let me read a Colossians 1 again to you. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Every man, every person, every woman, every child, complete, fully grown, mature in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Number four, this is a super important principle. Podcasts and online preaching are a great source of teaching, but they are an addendum to, not a replacement for the preaching in our own body of Christ. So, this is our church. It's a local church that we are a part of. Each of us has a gift, has a part to play, has a role, has a, a contributing factor in the health and the growth of the body. It's the gifts that we have as we connect with each other that God blesses and works in. The word church in the New Testament has basically three definitions. One is the church that began on the day of Pentecost and will end on the rapture of the church, that collective group of believers that is a finite number of people that is declared to be the bride of Christ that rules with him, is sitting with him, living with him, the companion of the, Jesus, the bride of Christ forever and ever. Every believer from Pentecost to the rapture, however many years that is. And then there's the church that is every believer in the world that is alive today. But Romans was written to the church at Rome. There was the letter in Revelations that was written to the church at Ephesus, and there's a letter written by that title as well. To the church of Philippi, to the church of Colossae, to the church of Thessalonica. The letters in the New Testament are written to a local body, a specific church with a group of people who identify with that church, a church that has a pastor, who has a preacher, who has people that function together in it. So the preaching in our church uh, is absolutely essential for your growth. That's the way God made it. Ephesians 4 he who descended, speaking of Jesus, is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, that is, he rose from the dead, so that he might fill all things. He gave some, he's talking now about giving gifts, spiritual gifts, and he's talking about some specific ones here. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. The equipping of the saints. I remember years ago when I was first started pastoring up in the grade school gym, I preached on this verse. And after the service, I was standing at the door and this lady walked out and she said, Pastor, I knew that was your method, but I didn't know it was in the Bible. She thought I said whipping when I said equipping. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe I should change my method if that's what she thinks I'm doing. It's whipping, just nagging, you know, just encouraging, admonishing, uh, equipping the saints not whipping, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a mature man grown up like Jesus to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, that's each of you, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Number five, the power of the preaching to cause growth in those who listen is variable. In some churches the power is zero and others it is a hundred. That's a arbitrary number I picked to compare. Uh, another way that we could say it is, wow, his preaching was really good. What's that mean? It means it impacted me, it convicted me, it motivated me, it taught me. Or, boy, I had a hard time staying awake at that one. That was a yawner. So every sermon is a hundred or a zero. And churches tend to have preaching in them that is anywhere between a hundred and a zero, depending on a number of factors. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about, what your part in that is. The number one factor in growing churches is the power of preaching. So there's a science called church growth. All they, that is is that they, uh, people study churches uh, and they just they say, is that church growing? Okay, let's go check it out. And so they ask questions, they do surveys, they observe, they, they say, what is the reason? I know it's because they have soft seats and people come because they like soft seats. They have lots of potlucks and people like food, so they come because of the food. Oh, it's because they have this world-class, uh, great, awesome singer that leads worship. It's because they have really loud woofer speakers. Uh, what's the reason? So they study that church and they study that church and they study that church. They study churches all over, all over the time in different cultures. And what they found is they study churches, there's some common denominators and the number one factor uh, I mean it's so far above number two it's hardly even worth mentioning is preaching that's what God ordained the church be about is preaching and teaching the word of God and the quality uh, the power the supernatural aspect of the preaching is the fact that drives the church and causes it to reach the lost people and to grow people into disciples of Christ more than any other factor. Number six, the difference between very powerful preaching and very wimpy preaching is caused both by the preacher and the listener. You can take a really great preacher and put him in a church that's not doing what they're supposed to do and he'll turn into a rotten preacher. I was in Seattle once doing a seminar and it was a fairly large church, and uh, during one of the breaks, one of the elders uh, said, hey, can I take you out to lunch? I said, okay, and so we went out to lunch. He said, we had a quick meeting, and we'd like to call you to be our pastor. I says, uh, well, no, no, thank you. I've already got a church. I, I like it where I'm at. I said, so, but you, you have a pastor. I met him. He said, yeah, well, we're going to fire him. And I kind of like pastors, and so it he sort of irritated me. When he said that, I said, so why are you firing him? Well, because he can't preach his way out of a wet paper sack. 
and we want to find a good preacher, so we're going to fire him. We'd like to hire you. I said, well, that's... And I said, yeah, I'm going to leave that church so I can be rude if I want. And uh, I didn't, really didn't intend on being rude, but I did want to make a point. I said, you know what I think? I think if I were to say yes and come up here and be your pastor, I'd end up being worse of a preacher than he is. Uh, you could make him better than Billy Graham if you as a church would commit to some basic things that make a preacher great. Uh, he wasn't interested in that information. Number seven, the effectiveness of the preaching in a church varies greatly from person to person in the church that is between you. In other words, I can preach a great sermon. One person would say, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. Someone else is dead asleep. And so uh, it's on me and it's on you. It's a supernatural event that's two parts, two people, both doing and being responsible to do those things that make the preaching good. Number eight, the more faith the listener has that the preaching of the Word is essential to their growth, the more they will grow from it. So I made this statement. I said, my preaching, Mike's preaching, others that preach is absolutely essential for your growth. You can listen to John MacArthur if you want, but God ordained that a local church, the body of Christ, the various parts, as they work together, is what causes us to grow. And the preaching of the Word, that supernatural event, is essential for your growth. Now, if you believe that to be true, then what happens is that you walk into a service and listen and pay attention and take notes with a whole different attitude. If you think it's just sort of like entertaining you, keeping you awake, it's kind of nice to learn some information, but not essential. You're fine. You'll do great. You can take it or leave it. If you don't really have much faith in this method that God has ordained, then you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. But if you believe that preaching is God's method, it's essential for your growth, and you can't grow without it, then it does something to your uh, ears. It does something to your heart. And God blesses you. Matthew 9, 29, he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. Now to say that you get so much more out of preaching when you have the faith to believe that it's God's ordained method. It's a supernatural event. Number nine, the quality of being humble and a learner are huge factors in the power of a sermon to change the listener's life. So many Christians think, I've arrived, I know it all, I've got it all together, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm on my way to heaven, I go to church, well, you know, if it's not sunny. Uh, not that big of a deal if I go or if I don't go. It's not that big a deal if I listen or I don't. There's this sense of, I've arrived, I've got it together, I can read my Bible, uh, I can pray, I don't need church, I don't need the preaching. And that attitude basically short-circuits all that God wants to do in our life. 1 Peter 5, Therefore exhort the elders, that's the pastors, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd, be a pastor, lead. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. That means you're not a control freak. Proving to be examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, that is, those who are preaching and teaching the Word of God. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the proud. He fights against the proud, gives grace to the humble. The definition of humility in the Bible is, I need you. I need what you bring into my life from God as part of the body of Christ. I'm a hand, you're a liver. I can't live without you. I'm an eyeball, you're a lung. I can't live without you. And so humility is an attitude of dependence on the others in the body, and I need you to grow. Pride is saying, I can do it by myself. Thank you. Psalms 25, 9, he leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. Number 10, the more discipline a listener has to apply what they hear to their life, the more they will grow. So we listen attentively, we're learners, we're humble. We want to learn principles that will cause us to become more Christ-like, and we put it into practice in our life. James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, he's listening to a sermon, not a doer. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. That man will be blessed in what he does. Number 11, every person listening to this sermon has a gap in their life between what they know to be true and what they're actually living. So we all have this gap. This is what I know in my head to be true. This is what I'm actually living. Now, some people, there's very little gap. What they learn, what they hear, what they read, they do. They live. They put it into practice. Others are kind of, ah, and the gap gets to be fairly large between what they know to be true and right and what they actually do and the way they live. Now, you can only handle so much gap and your self-worth goes down the tubes. Your guilt increases dramatically and one of two things will happen. Either you stop learning or you become a Pharisee. That is, you begin to pretend like you're doing it, act like you're doing it, blow smoke like you're doing it, but not really. And so what happens to many is the gap increases to the point where I don't want to learn anything more because I already know more than I'm living. And so there begins to be this mental shutdown whenever you're listening to the word preached because it just adds to what I'm already not doing. And I don't need any more in that category. So the person who puts into practice what they learn uh, is always pushing, pressing on towards maturity. That individual is a learner. Uh, and they hear and they understand, and God works in their heart and their life. The bigger the gap, the more resistant they are to learning new truth. <clears throat> so, the most significant factor in my preaching power is your praying. The more you pray for me, the more power I have from God to preach. The better I preach, the more you grow. That's called a symbiotic relationship. I preach because you pray, and because you pray, I preach, and because I preach, you grow. 
And so there becomes this cycle of becoming more and more like Christ as we function in the various roles that God has assigned us. But when you get too busy to pray for me and you don't think it really matters that much or uh, you're too involved in television or whatever and praying for the preacher is not something that's a high priority in your life, that church's power in the preaching ministry will become uh, a ten instead of a hundred. Number 12, the more that a listener prays for the preacher, the more they will learn and grow. Somebody asked at a gathering I was in, a group of pastors, they said, think back over the last 45 years, what's the single most important, impactful thing you ever did as a pastor, a choice you made? I said, I remember it clearly. It was a sermon I preached in the gym. And in there, uh, I, I had a board. Some of you may have been back in the church way back then. It was just a, one of those boards that free stands, you know, like an A. And there was a piece of paper on it. And on the left-hand side was a column with 1 through 30 on it. And then across the side were blank lines. And I preached on the importance of praying for me. In fact, I preached that sermon probably 20 times over the years. Uh, and what happens when you preach for, uh, pray for me? And I said, if your birthday is on the 27th, on that 27th, would you write your name? And that means that you're committing to praying for me 15 minutes once a month on the day of the month that is your birthday, corresponds to the day that your birthday is. And I said, if I could get three people to sign on every line, 90 people, I would know that every day I've got three people praying for me for 15 minutes. I think that would be such a huge factor in my life, my preaching, our church, and your growth. And if we filled it up, it was more than three per line. And I would write letters to people saying, hey, this is a good thing to pray for. I see it's, your date's coming up. Uh, and uh, I would just ask, did you remember as a third, that's the day you pray. Did you remember? Did you only pray for a minute or did you pray for 15? Um, and so I pushed that agenda a lot. And then I bought 50 books written by Peter Wagner. The title of the book was The Most Powerful Force in the Church. And it was a basic book written on the power of praying for the preacher, what it does. It was a great book. I gave it to 50 people in the church. You know how it is when you give books away? you only get half of them back. So I got 25 back, and I gave those 25 out, and I got 12 of them back, and I gave those 12 out, and I got six back. I gave those out, and I got three back, and then pretty soon I didn't get any back. But I figured that uh, 25, there was only about 100, probably 200 people in the church back then. I think everybody read the book. It made a huge difference. And so when I say, what's the smartest thing I ever did? That was it. That was it. It was about 1991 when I did that. Colossians 4, 3, praying at the same time for us as well that God may open. Praying for us, Paul said, that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So your praying is what makes it happen. 13, the symbiotic nature of the body of Christ teaches that the more we give, the more we receive. The more we pray, the more we learn. 
we're a body. Each of us are like an organ. Each of us are like a cell. We each contribute to the other's health. And you contribute to me. I contribute to you. That's the way it works. The more you pray for me, the more you get out of the sermon. That's just the way God works. 14, anyone who is a regular preacher and a teacher of the Word of God has an enormous responsibility put on them by God. So burnout in ministry is very, very high. I, uh, one of my new ministries I have now is coaching pastors. I've been doing it for enough years that I ought to be able to coach guys that are starting. And, uh, and, I, and I say to the, tell them, I says there is no pressure in the world that comes close to being like the pressure put on you when you stand up and preach the Word of God, the living, active Word of God that transforms people's lives into the image of Christ. And so when you do that, you're either really good or really bad. You're either really powerful or really wimpy. And you know it. And that pressure every week to preach and teach the Word of God so that people will grow into the image of Christ and will experience the result of that when they stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ. That's a, a huge kind of a pressure that a lot of pastors just can't manage. Uh, and, and so they experience this uh, burnout. It's ex exhausting, not the activity itself, but it's the responsibility that I have to preach and to teach the Word of God in such a way that you grow, your life changes, you become like Jesus. Because if I don't do it well, you pay the price. And it's not just a price tomorrow, it's a price for eternity. That's a significant kind of pressure that's on an individual. And so I talked to pastors and said, you can blow that away if you want, but it's, it's, it wears on you. And if you don't learn how to manage it and learn how to fill up your gas tank, and uh, you'll... It won't last. <clears throat> Second Timothy 4, I solemnly charge you, listen to the words that Paul says here, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge, judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So Paul really lays it on. He said, I charge you. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. God's listening to this and of Christ, the one who judges the living and the dead. Preach the word, work really hard and do it well. Fifteen, the preacher needs to study diligently so that the content of the sermon is accurate. <clears throat> There's a whole lot of stuff going around now that isn't even close to being accurate or biblical because of the uh, poor study habits and the small amount of time. It's more of a uh, just simply an entertainment factor that takes place. So I tell guys that I work with, uh, you want to study an hour for every minute you preach. So if it's a 20-minute sermon, it's 20 hours that you invest in that sermon. Second Timothy 2.15, be diligent, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately, accurately handling the word of truth. 16, the preacher needs to make the content clear and understandable. There's a study that was done, interesting study, and they took pastors that uh, went through Bible school, started a church, or became a pastor of a, a small church, and their church grew and their preaching was good. And then when they got to a size, they went and got a master's degree. And once they got the master's degree, the church stopped growing 
and then they got a doctor's degree to fix that, and then the church started going downhill. Why? Well, because the more they learned, the, the more boring their sermons became. Content was great, but it wasn't understandable. It wasn't clear. People didn't get it. The intelligence, the uh, learn uh, of the pastor had gotten to the point where he was over the heads of people. And so that's a really important aspect is that uh, it's clear. Number 17, the preacher needs to learn the skill, the skill of preaching and teaching so that he holds people's attention. And so it's true that the Spirit of God works, but God always works with us. And so diligence is part of the pastor's responsibility. And he's always working on how to become a better preacher. Uh, I'm obsessed with it. I read books on it. I listen to preachers. I'm always uh, listening to my own sermons, cringing. Oh, Lord, how in the world does anybody listen to that garbage? Uh, so there's this skill of holding people's attention as opposed to being boring. 18, a preacher who bores people with the word of God is bad. It's the worst sin that any pastor can commit is to bore people with the living word of God. But many do. 19, the preacher not only needs to teach people how to live, but also he needs to motivate them. It's not simply giving information it's motivating, stirring up, so people actually put it into practice. It's one of the missing ingredients. Uh, I have pastors who will call me, and they say, can you help me with my preaching? I say, sure, would you put your, have somebody record your sermon, put it on YouTube, and I'll watch it, and then we can interact about what is good and what is bad. And the number one thing that I often see is that it's simply a lecture. There's no fire in it. There's no motivation in it. Nobody feels like doing anything when it's over. And uh, when somebody says to me, you know, your sermons make me feel like dirt, it's like, thank you, Jesus. That's the goal because that's what motivates uh, to change and to grow. He needs to preach so as to contribute to the, as not to contribute to the gap problem. You learn information but not motivated to live it, that gap between what you know and what you're living becomes bigger. Number 20, a major part of any preacher's power to transform lives is the praying he does for the people he's preaching to. So I preach um, and I pray and I study. And my goal is to spend as much time praying as I do studying. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, the pastor who studies more than he prays is like a preacher with one leg longer than the other. Um, and so I pray for every one of you every week. I'm pretty organized and sophisticated in it. I have an iPad with an app, and I put pictures, and I cut and paste prayer requests, and I put information under your name, and I go through that list of names every week, and I keep a note. Okay, uh, some of you who have that last name starts with a Z. Occasionally I don't get through yet, but sorry about that. No, no, just joking. Um, uh, I leave off, and I get the next group and the next group, and... And one of the things I always pray for is, Lord, would you make them hungry? Would you make them work in their hearts so they hunger and thirst for righteousness? 
that they're not complacent or apathetic or lukewarm with where they're at, that they want to grow more. And they understand what the tools are. They understand what the method is. So the deal, I'll pray for you, you pray for me. I'll pray that God works and that you grow and that uh, he blesses you and opens up doors for you. I'll pray for your marriage, your kids, your health, and you pray for me that I preach really good and from Pastor Mike. Colossians 1.9, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, I mean at Colossae. We have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And somebody says, we, nobody can live worthy of the Lord. I said, well, we're certainly admonished to. Why would we be admonished to if we can't? And so I pray right there that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is, people would look at you and say, ah, that's a Christian. That's a Christian. You would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power. So I pray that prayer over and over and over and over and over and over and over again for you. I pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. I pray that he would work in you in such a way that you would live your life worthy of him. That you would please him in every detail of your life. That you'd bear fruit in every good work. And that you'd increase in the knowledge of God. And that you'd have his power. His power and his strength. And... Uh, I pray it over, and one of the factors in my preaching is my praying. If I pray for you, then God will work. It's a supernatural event, preaching. And there are conditions attached for God to work. I can study, I can work, you can, but God has to be the one that blesses and makes it happen. And one of the major conditions is you pray, and I pray, and as we pray, God supernaturally works. And your life has changed, you become like Christ, and my life has changed in the same process. Paul says, work at it hard, and you will guarantee salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. I claim that promise every time I prepare a sermon. Lord, you promise you'd guarantee salvation for every person that listens and for myself as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have blessed our church over the years. Thank you for using us. I pray that you will continue to do that. We will reach the lost, make disciples. We will grow as the body of Christ stronger, more powerful. Lord, we'll impact our culture, have an impact in Africa all over because of the people in our church that are growing into champions for you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.